I want to welcome Pastor Mike up as he comes to bring the word this morning. Oh, that was great hearing about Thomas in Africa. I love it. (laughs) Great to see someone passionate about something. I love the passion. Yeah, I believe God loves that too. He loves a heart that's passionate, sold out for him. Isn't that right? Amen. Why don't you just do, uh, for a moment, just, why don't you just to close your eyes and, uh, and I want us to just take a few moments to just make the Holy Spirit welcome. I have come into an incredible, fresh passion for the Holy Spirit and come to realize how empty our lives are if he does not work with us. And I want to challenge you today, in the coming days ahead, to begin to appreciate this gift, this treasure that God has given us, and come to know him personally. This church was built on the Holy Spirit moving, and we need desperately for God to awaken and arise in us again. Not some great revival to come down from heaven, although that's wonderful, but what we have to be stirred and become active. So today, Holy Spirit, we honor you. We give you all the honor in each and every way as individuals or as a church where we have grieved you or quenched you. We just ask your forgiveness. And today, we just open our hearts to come to fresh insight of your presence and work in our lives. And we welcome you to come and bring a fresh season upon our lives, a fresh awakening. And I pray for every person here that in the coming weeks there'll be an awakening of hunger and desire for you and there will be an increasing manifestation of your life in each and every one of us. I ask, Lord, that there would come a fresh reverence in our hearts for you and that we would begin to value the treasure and understand that treasure and begin to interact with you personally, to hear you very quickly, respond to you, and bring forth great fruit. So we welcome you to come, Holy Spirit. Come fill this church, come fill leaders and people and families. At every level and every part, every corner, every remotest place of the church, we ask, Lord, for your presence to come. We pray especially for those who, Lord, are just distance and separated for various reasons, that, Lord, need that fresh touch. We pray for them. We pray for our city, that the church here across the city will begin to arise with fresh zeal. And so we welcome you. We so love you, Holy Spirit. We just love your presence. Lord, we honor you today as we begin in these next few weeks to just look at you and to begin to discover about you and your work. May we have a fresh enthusiasm and joy in life that comes. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bible with me in John chapter 16. And I want to pick up where I was. I was sharing the last message I shared was on the legacy that Christ left us, what Jesus left us. And I want to pick up in uh, in John chapter 16. And uh, I'm going to speak today on the energizing life of the Spirit, the energizing life of the Spirit And uh, we're going to look uh, briefly at four forces which work in you. Two of them work without you doing anything. So if you remain passive, these two will work on you every day, morning, noon, and night, 24-7. 
There are two other forces which can work in you, which are extremely powerful to change your life, but they only work if you are cooperative. They do not work if you are passive. You have to be cooperative and active. We are in a kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, nothing comes by passivity and waiting around. Everything comes by active faith that reaches in to get whole. And so we're going to start in John chapter 16. And uh, Jesus is speaking. This is his last message to his disciples before he uh, is going to die on the cross. And he says, nevertheless, in verse 7, I tell you a truth. Look at this. It's to your advantage I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it's profitable for you or it's much better that I leave than I stay. Now, of course, a lot of people wish Jesus was here again. But actually, Jesus has done his work. Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus came with a mission in mind. He accomplished his mission, but his mission of work is not complete there's a part you and I are called to play. So he says, this is what he says, and his disciples obviously in this great state of distress at the prospect that Jesus was going to leave them, he's going to die, and, uh, and, uh, and they would lose their leader. So they're in a high state of distress. He says, I want you to know a truth. Here's the truth. It's far, far better I leave you and go to heaven than it is that I stay here. And for you and I, we need to recognize it's a far better thing that he died and went to heaven, and that he's given us his spirit, then if he stayed, if he stayed on the earth, then if you and I wanted to talk to Jesus, we would have to catch a flight, go to Tel Aviv or wherever, Jerusalem, and we'd have to wait in a queue along with people from all around the world to have an interview with Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us, he said, it's of great advantage to you. Here's what the advantage is. He says, I'm located in one place on earth at this time. If you want to see the kingdom of God in action, here you have to come to this one place, one location, one person. But he says, my plan is much bigger than that. He says, if I die, I will deal with the issue of sin, which stops you having connection with God. I will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when I go to the Father, he says, I'm going to send you the very same spirit that empowers me the same spirit that produces the life in me, same spirit that produces the miracles. He said, I'm going to put that spirit inside you. You will now have access 24-7 to the kingdom of heaven, 24-7 to the blessing and favor of God, 24-7 access to the life of God. You will have permanent access to the life of God. And he goes on to say, what's more, he says, I'll never take the Spirit of God away from you. He will never leave you. People will let you down. People will walk out on you. People might betray. I'll never, never, never let you go. My Spirit will remain with you. My Spirit will remain with you. And of course, the disciples took a bit to get a hold of that. Took a fair bit to get a hold of that. God wants you to become aware that his plan was always to place this unbelievable treasure. And the Bible uses the word to describe the Holy Spirit, many words to describe the Holy Spirit. But one word that's used to describe them is this priceless treasure that he places inside an earthen vessel. And I believe one of the most, uh, 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 one of the most underestimated and undervalued aspects of our life in walking with God is the person of the Holy Spirit and what he does. I believe many people don't understand what he has done, don't understand how to relate to the Holy Spirit, don't understand even who he is. 
nor even why he's given to us, nor what it is that offends him and grieves him. You see, it's all very well to want more of God, but what are you talking about when you say I want more of God? He's actually given you himself. What he wants is more of you. The issue lies with us. If we will draw near, he will always draw near to us. So we desperately need the person and power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a look with me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to show you something that will really help you in your thinking about your Christian life. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we have a look around in verse 13. Philippians 2 verse 13. And this is what he says in verse 13. He says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's saying that when he's talking about God, he's saying it is the Holy Spirit who works within you. And the outcome of that is that your desires change and your lifestyle changes. The way you live your life is completely different. Now notice he says how this happens. You want to change desires and you want change lifestyle. He said it is God working or the Spirit of God working in you that brings that about. It's not by keeping rules. It's not by keeping laws. It's not by struggling harder to be a better person. It's not by striving to stop doing things and to start doing other things. He said, it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit inside you. Now, the word they use for the word work is an interesting word. It's the word, and it literally, in the original language, it's the word energeo. You can tell what that translates to. They, they couldn't really get a translation of it in English, so they use the word in English, in English, energize, to energize. So when it says the Holy Spirit works in you, that means literally it means, I'll give you what it, really, what it means, it means to be mighty inside you. Well, that's apparently not what we see in the majority Christian. But this is God's design. That the Spirit of God be mighty inside you. Mighty inside you. Mighty inside you. You're not waiting for something to come from heaven. You have someone inside you who is mighty. We must learn to draw on the resources of the Holy Spirit. The word inigo means to be effective or one who shows forth himself powerfully inside you. So where is the life to be found? It's inside you. That word energize in the dictionary means literally to give energy. It means to rouse you into activity. The Holy Spirit inside you, his work and job description is to stir you up on the inside. It's to rouse you into activity. It also means to pep you up. You know, people today, they want to take some stuff to give them a high. Man, we don't have to get in a shop to buy something to give you a high. You've got the Holy Ghost inside you. And man, can he lift you up? Can he change you on the inside? So the Holy Spirit is given to stir us up. Listen, without the Holy Spirit moving and operating, your Christianity is dead as a doornail. You come into a church which is dead, it means people are not drawing on the person of the Holy Ghost within them. They're waiting for something, no doubt, to come one day. But God says, I have given you something, and that something I've given you is the same someone I put in the Holy, in, in Jesus Christ. 
the same someone who enabled him to live the life he did, I put him in you to bring about the same result. The problem is we don't know how to draw on the Holy Ghost. We don't know our part in it. And typical of a Kiwi culture, we remain very passive. Passivity doesn't cut it in the kingdom. Passivity doesn't cut it anywhere in life, to tell the truth. Passivity means you roll over and you become a victim and let life walk all over you. And you have what comes and then you put a nice religious spin on it and say, I think that might be what God's will is for me. That's nonsense. That's not how the kingdom works. So God puts his spirit in you to energize you. How about that? He puts his spirit in you to give light to you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it says that the same spirit that resurrected and transformed Christ quickened, shall quicken your body, give you life and energy. That's why people can be quite old physically, Oh, their life and spirit abounds in the energy of the Holy Ghost. That's how it's meant to be. Not meant to walk around tired, depressed, and defeated. There's someone in you waiting to break out. And I believe it's not a matter what's going to happen down the road or something coming from above. God wants something in you to arise and break out. You never got born again. God wants to put his spirit inside you. See, this is the wonderful thing. John the Baptist had a revelation of Jesus. This is what he saw. He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to deal with sin so you don't have to live under sin anymore. You don't have to live condemned, defeated, under pressure all the time. You don't have to live with sin energy swirling in you. You don't have to live that way. You choose to live that way. Jesus came to break the power of sin once and for all. He rose from the dead, and that resurrection means the Holy Ghost gave him total victory over sin. Now, here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. And that's not where your focus should be. God does not want us to live focused on sin and failure and pressing problems. When you live that way, you're not living like God intended you to. Jesus said, I've come, you might have life and have it. Oh, more abundantly. What does it look like? It looks like being loving. It looks like being joyful. It looks like being peaceful. It looks like having long-suffering and patience with very difficult people. It looks like being bold and courageous in the face of life's adversities. That's what it looks like. It actually looks like something. But the source is not striving to, motiv- striving, to, striving to motivate yourself to be a better person. The source is a person. It is God energizing you. If only I could get that through to you. If only I could get that through to you. But I want to show you four forces that work inside you. Two of them will work without you doing anything. So do nothing. They'll be really having a heyday with you. And in order for something different to happen, you've got to make decisions. So I want to quickly go, because I really want to get to focus on the, 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 the final one. Here's the four forces. Four, the four forces, here they are. Number one, sin works in you. I'll give you the scripture in a moment. Number two, evil spirits work in you. It's the same word. Number three, the word of God works in you if. Number four, the Holy Spirit works in you if. So for the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring about shift and change in our life like they're designed to, it requires active 
cooperation, we're going to do something. But if we do nothing, then the other two have their way of ruling over our life. Let's have a quick look at them. Number one, the first one is sin energizes us. Eh? Now, you'll understand this. In Romans 7 verse 5, it said, Sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So it said sinful passions or sin. Sin is a spiritual force. This is not something, it, sin's more than something you just do. Like I did that bad thing. Yeah, that's sin. Sin is more than that. Sin is actually a driving spiritual force. The Bible calls it a law. The law of sin with its outcome, death, meaning separation from God, isolation, and destruction in our life. Sin and death go hand in hand. Jesus said, the Bible says that God spoke to Adam, the day you sin, you die. There'll be a separation, a breakdown. There'll be problems come into your life you have never anticipated. So notice this, it says sin works. That word, there it is, energizes, stirs up, peps you up, empowers. It creates all kinds of things inside you. Do nothing and sin will have a heyday. So what does that look like? You can feel the presence of sin working. You may not call it that. You might try and call it another name and call it a problem. But actually the Bible calls it sin and it has a solution to it. It's a spiritual problem requiring a spiritual solution. And here's what happens when sin is... Here, give you some examples. When anger... When you have anger in your life, you feel it. It feels you. Have you noticed? And it's very, it's very, very negative emotion. Not a nice emotion at all. It can be channeled constructively, but if you don't deal with anger properly, then it is destructive to you and to people. It has a power and an energy. That's why you find a lot of people do things. They say, "I don't know what came over me." I do. It was hate and anger. <laughs> they, they, you actually felt them, and you let go, and they took over, and you did beat the, something out of someone, and and that's why you're in jail, or that's why you got this problem. You know. Because you let go and let sin energy just run wild in your life. And there's lots of uh, lust, lust, when lust, when a person's got lust going on in them, man, their mind is alive. (laughs) Vivid pictures and technicolor and detail and passions and longings, the whole body and emotions and mind, everything's all stood up. That is sin energy. It's not some thing, it's a powerful spiritual force pulling you into a negative pattern of living. If, it's, if sin is a negative spiritual force that energizes you, only a spiritual power stronger than that can break it. Think about that. So you think, well, well, well what about you know, the law? Well, the law isn't going to help us at all. Here's, I'll tell you why. The Bible says that the law or the rules or regula- or, the, or the, uh, the Ten Commandments God gave literally expose that sin is there. The law has no power. There's no law has any power to change you. Come and come make all the laws it likes. It has no power to change the heart of any person because sin is a spiritual force requiring a spiritual solution. So you put it, if, if we were to just say, for example put you alone in this room, and I put a big box up on the here, right up on the stand, dressed it all up, and had a sign on it, do not open. 
and then left you alone. There would be very few people, if they were left alone long enough, would not suddenly find these insane longings to have a quick look. Just a quick look won't hurt. See? Or if we touch it, another common one is paint. You, put a, you paint a wall and put a sign up, wet paint don't touch. Now that sign, wet paint don't touch, it's an evil sign. Because it's like a magnet drawing you and you just have to touch. Oh, it's wet. So laws have no power to change you. All they do is stir up that there's sin inside you and you become very aware of it. Don't steal this. You want it so badly. And the more they say you can't, the more you want. This is how sin works. It is a spiritual force. Do you understand what I'm talking about there? So you've got to understand this, that trying to keep rules and laws and struggling in your own energy to give a, live a Christian life ain't going to work. The Christian life cannot be lived without another power. You see, so many Christians are defeated because they're living the other side of the cross under law. Well, you don't do this, and you must do that, and you mustn't do that, and don't do this, whatever you do, and you have to have your hair this way, and your clothes this way, blah, 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 blah. And they live there all the time. And the result is a defeated life. Jesus wanted to get us off the other side of the cross and filled with the Spirit so we have an empowered life and we start to live a life that bears fruit for God. If you live... Under the law, you're always wondering, is this, am I allowed to do this? And you're looking where? You're looking outside yourself. That's not what God's intention was. He wanted to put a treasure inside you so you'd never have to look outside. You could look inside and have answers. So the Bible says that the more you come under the law, the more you feel, the, more, the stronger sin gets. So, what's the solution? Here's the thing the Bible says in Romans 12, uh, 8 verse 1. It says, don't be condemned because you have those struggles. Is there anyone here, one single person in this room, does not have those struggles? Say, here's without sin. Put the hand up. <laughs> I don't see any flurry of praise the Lord hands. <laughs> Bible says if we say we haven't sinned, then we don't tell them we're lying. The reality is while you live in this body, sin would put a pull on you. And not only that, it leads to separation internally from God, from people, to shame. It leads to all manner of emotions. So what's needed is a greater spiritual power. Now I'll show you how that works in just a moment. Okay, now the second thing that is a spiritual force that works on us, Ephesians 2 verse 2 says this. It says now, it says the whole world is under the course of the prince of the, follows a course under the prince of the power of the year, that spirit that works in the children of disobedience. So we notice there in that scripture it says that demonic spirits work in people. That word is the same word. They energize, they stir up, they inflame, they pour petrol on your fire. You ever poured petrol on a little fire? 
you end up and your eyelashes are singed and scorched. And, and I tell you this from first-hand experience. <laughs> Petrol on the fire is not a good mix. To help the fire get going. That's all I meant to do. Help the fire get going. Put a little bit of petrol on. Man, oh man, you just, there's, a, there's a fireball engulfs you in flames. Horrendous. So an evil spirit is a spirit being. It has a personality. It has a mind, a will, and emotions. Its intentions are evil. And the Bible says that they are arrayed against us, and their determination is to destroy what's precious to God, destroy you. Now, their operation and their weapons, firstly, are temptation. Now, how many people have experienced being tempted to sin? Now, let me ask you this. Was that temptation a thing or a powerful, overwhelming, magnetic pull? It was a spiritual force, wasn't it? When, when temptation comes, it's like all your senses are tuned highly. I must have that. I must do it. I want that. I will do it. Just goes through a process. So evil spirits inflame what's already inside us. So one, by deceiving, trying to get you to sin. And two, once they've got strongholds of sin or there's holds of sin or trauma in your life. Evil spirits use sin and traumatic experiences to gain access to people and their role is to energize sin. Some of you here have got traumatic experiences You've never recovered from them. You've never had them healed. They just sit there in your life. And under that are ungodly beliefs. And demons manipulate and pull on you and control your life. It's not you're a bad person. You're a damaged person that needs healing. They just manipulate. They energize old problems. So you go there and someone just, you're doing just fine. And someone just mentions something. The next thing you feel these emotions all stirring up. And you're suddenly fiery inside your eyes. And you, well, that was only a little thing. How come I'm so worked up? It's because demons are manipulating the strongholds of your life. That's what they do. They energize the things that are there. So they either tempt you so they can gain access or once they got in, then they energize what's already there and create cycles of defeat that make it hard to get out of. So when demons are operating, mostly people don't know. They just think, it's just me. And what's bad about me is I've got these problems, secret problems I can't get over, secret addictions, secret habits, secret sins. I, I come to church, I'm so determined. I will be better tomorrow. Jeez, I promise I'll never do that again. I won't do it again. I won't. And next Sunday's the same. I'm sorry, Jesus. I won't do it again. That's why New Year's resolutions seldom work. How many know that they don't work? How many stopped doing them because they didn't work? You stopped long ago. It didn't work. Of course it didn't work. There's no power in it. A resolution, it it relies totally on willpower. It relies on your willpower and discipline. And a few people have it, uh, but the most of us don't. Okay, so we're all in the same. So there's the problem. Now, here's the thing. In Romans 8 and verse 2, it's got an interesting scripture there. In verse 1 it says, don't be condemned because you've got this issue. If you've become to Christ, don't worry about the fact or live under condemnation. Condemnation means you're feeling bad about yourself, something wrong with me, I'm an inferior to the person next to me. Uh, uh, or he said, the Bible says, if you're in Christ and your mind is set to pleasing God, don't worry, you've got some issues. And don't even worry. 
Why? Because they're all sorted at the cross. It's just a matter of if you keep walking, you'll work those things out anyway. He says, right, he says, now look, at it. and here it is. He gives the key. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Notice he talks about two laws, the law of sin and death. If you do nothing, the law of sin and death operates. The law of the spirit of life in Christ is another law more powerful than sin. It is a law. Now, for an example of a law, a law is a governing force. So, for example, gravity is a law. There's a law of gravity that describes how gravity operates. Every object is attracted to the center of the earth. That's the law of gravity. Some force is pulling them out. So if you stand up on, if I stand up on the seat like this, there we are, the law of gravity is still on me. I can pretend I do not believe in gravity. I'll overcome gravity. You watch, I'll overcome. I've made a determination. I'll overcome gravity. I step up, boom. I don't overcome gravity at all. I just fall straight on the floor. I just prove that it's there. Law of sin and death. Now notice this. It says the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Imagine now a plane. 737, hundreds of tons of metal. The law of gravity says very clearly that thing is stuck on the ground. But there's another law, law of aerodynamics. And if you get that thing moving forward and get some momentum up and get a flow of air over the wings, there's another force starts to come that starts to lift it up. And when they get up enough speed, now the law of lift upwards is greater than the law downwards and the plane takes off. Interesting thing is, the plane will take off. So long as its attitude is upward, it's fine. If it gets a downward attitude, it's on its way down, it'll crash. If it loses forward momentum, it will then go down and crash. So the key for the plane to stay in the air is very simple. You've got to keep momentum forward, and then the lift created by that will overcome gravity. Notice that to get the plane in the air, they do not get rid of gravity. They don't focus, how can we get rid of gravity? How can we gravity-proof this plane? They actually fly in spite of gravity. Now, don't think, how can I get rid of all the sin in my life? If I could just get rid of all the sin in my life, everything will be right. No, you need to get some forward momentum with God, and the result of that is you'll get lift in your life that energizes you in such a way that you're able to overcome the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is overcome not by you trying harder, but by activating another law. Something else needs to take place. Now listen, if that plane sits passively on the runway, it ain't going up. The only way it goes up is if it gets some momentum, and that requires some energy be expended to get it going forward. Now, it's the same in your Christian life. The law of sin and death will operate if you do nothing. It'll even operate if you try and fight it. Demons will operate if you do nothing. They'll even operate if you try and fight them. You need a stronger spiritual force, and that only comes if you will cooperate with God in activating what he says works. And fortunately, the Bible describes two other forces that work to energize us positively and produce positive effects in our life. The first is the Word of God. The Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2 and uh, verse uh, 13, it says, Now you receive the Word of God, not as it is the Word of men, but as in truth the Word of God, which works effectually in you that believe. In other words, God's Word has power to change my life only if I apply it to my life. 
We'll show you what that involves in just a moment. So it says, notice you receive the word and it works powerfully in you. So God's word has the power to energize you, lift you up, strengthen you, and you can literally feel it happening. So how do I activate the word of God to inspire me, lift me up, energize me, bring conviction to me, bring shifts in my thinking? See, that's what the Word of God is designed to do. Hebrews 4.12 said, it's like a living thing. It's sharp and it can change your life. But most people, they get their Bible and they can't get a thing out of it. It's most likely not the problem with the Bible. It's probably how we're approaching the Bible. We're looking at it like a book rather than something living that has power to shift you. So the first thing to do is to value and honor the Word of God. To see it as being God's Word. It's God's Word. It's not man's Word. This has got power in it because it came from God. The Holy Spirit inspired me to write it. So I need to value God's Word. I need to approach it asking the Holy Spirit to help me to get something from it. Because it's the, the Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I need the Holy Spirit to bring it to life. I can't approach the Word of God just like a book. It won't work that way. The thing is, I need to learn to meditate in it, sit and picture and imagine and see God's Word at work in my life. I need to confess and speak God's Word, start to change the words I speak and speak around my life. It's going to be done to me according to what God says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is with me. God will never forsake me. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. I am a new creation in Him. I need to actually start to do something. i got to believe it. In Hebrews 4 verse 1 it says, They all heard the word of God, didn't do them a scrap of good because they did not believe it. They were not joined by faith to God's words. Listen, for many of you have been for years under the Word. I can tell you now, it only does you any good if you apply it. Coming to a meeting doesn't change you. Coming to a meeting is an opportunity to connect with God and let Him speak to you and then take away what He said and put it into your life to work. Messages are not just about getting that lovely message with five points. It's about what is God saying to me and how must I apply that to my life? through meditating on it, through choosing to hold it in my heart, believe this is true for me. And and, and see, unbelief in our heart will fight the Word of God. So the moment you try to hold God's Word around your heart and life, there will be a battle and you will feel it. But what's happening is the force behind the Word of God is flushing up the other stuff. So don't worry if there's a bit of a struggle goes on. Took me sometimes, it took me three, four weeks to get one scripture to stick in my heart. Because there were lies there that were demonically empowered that were fighting it all away. But meditation and confession and choosing to hold God's word shifted it. Now you notice then that requires something of you. Most people won't do that. That's why they don't change. And here's the last one I want to get to, and this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I'll be focusing on more and more when I get to uh, preach in these next seasons. Let's have a look at this. In Ephesians 3 verse 20, Ephesians 3 verse 20, 
And here's the most amazing thing. God has put his spirit, his power inside you. And verse 20 says, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly, more, more, more than we ask or think, according to the power, that's the Holy Spirit, that works in us. Okay, so the Holy Spirit works in you. Now, you can actually sense when the Spirit of God is working in you. How do you sense? Man, you can sense it in every part of you. When the Holy Spirit is working in you, your spirit comes alive. You start to get energized on the inside. When the Spirit of God is moving in you, your mind gets very clear. Thoughts start to come. Ideas start to come. When the Spirit of God is moving in you, your energy level comes up. Your body literally becomes quickened by it. When the Spirit of God uh, is starting to move inside you, your feelings and emotions change. Now the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace. Those are things you feel, experience in your spirit. Love and joy and peace. Joyful. Some of you are like, I'm very joyful. Religion is never joyful. How can it be? Because everyone's defeated and trying to pretend they're not. That's what hypocrisy is all about. That's what being like a Pharisee is like. It's about trying to make it look good when it isn't good. Why not be authentic? When you're authentic, you don't have to have all that energy trying to keep up the pretense. You can just be who you are, accepted and loved by God, got issues in your life, and you're on a journey where he's changing you, and you love Jesus, and his life flowing through you. Hallelujah. <laughs> so when the Holy Spirit is flowing through you, your, your body is affected, your, your emotions are affected, your spirit is affected, your mind is affected, every part of you is affected. When you put hands on people, you tingle, the life of God flows through you. It's the most wonderful, 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 wonderful thing to have the Holy Ghost flowing through you. You cannot believe how wonderful it is. When the Holy Spirit is flowing in you, fruit starts to appear in your life. You're no longer, I like that Paul Henry ad, you know, and, you know, and he give, they give him that chocolate bar. He says, you're nasty when you're, t- when you're hungry. You know, and he's got nasty to that girl and he's saying things that really hurt her and, and uh, where did that hairstyle come out of the 70s or something like that? And she turns away all upset and the guy's sitting around him say, you're nasty when you're hungry. Here, have this chocolate bar. Here's a chocolate bar. And suddenly he's nice again. See? Well, a lot of people, that really describes Christians without the Holy Ghost. They're quite nasty. Complain and bitter and negative and critical, all kinds of twisted, devious things. But when they get biting on the Holy Ghost, whoa, what a difference that makes. You need, we need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. It is, he is God's answer to getting our lives right. You just need the Holy Ghost to be working in your life. So, so, when he's work, so I'm glad you asked this question, how do we activate the Holy Ghost? See, because you need to know what to do. Because the Holy Spirit does not move in your life without your intentional cooperation. And the difference between people who are full of the life in God and those who are not is not because they're better. And it's also not because God likes them more, which is what most of us think. God's got favorites, and I'm not one of them. I'm always left out. That's why my life's such a mess, and I'm not blessed like him. Why is he blessed so much? We come up with all these stupid reasonings. Listen, there's ways that you activate the life of God. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to honor the Holy Spirit and make him welcome in your life. 
Every day when you get up, Holy Spirit, I'm so glad you're living within me. I want to welcome you today. I don't do anything that offends you. I want to live with you and have an adventure today. That's a better way to handle your day, isn't it? Start your day that way instead of waking up and grumping. Get out of the bed and you're grumpy before you hit the door and the day's going downhill from then on. You know, and then at the end of the day, you remember to pray, God, I'm sorry. What kind of sorry Christian life is that? That is just such a loser's life, isn't it? And that's how a lot of people are. It's just God doesn't want you to live like that. He's given you the Holy Ghost. So make him welcome and honor him. Lord, I value I know I can never live the life that I'm called to live. I'll never fulfill and realize my potential without your working with me, Holy Spirit. I need you. That's a great simple prayer to say every day. Then stop and thank him he's with you. You see, what we're going to teach you is how to cultivate an awareness of him and his presence in your life. Otherwise, you just live with a, without him all the time. It feels like he's not there at all. And because people feel like God's not there, they think he's not there and they do all sorts of things. So one is that. A second thing is praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is very powerful. Praying in tongues, why is that? Because see, every, culture, every, every kingdom has a culture and it has a language and it has ways of doing things. And heaven has a, has a language. We call it speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a gift the Holy Spirit gives you, and it's got a, probably about 10 to 15 different uses, which I won't go into here now. It's got all these different th- th- uh, benefits to you. But here's one of them. One of them is that when you pray in tongues, you and the Holy Spirit start to flow and cooperate together, and your inner man becomes energized with the life of God. That's probably one of the greatest benefits of it. It stirs up all kinds of things. So that's a great way. See? That's a great way to get your life stirred in God. Meditating in the Word of God is a great way to let the Holy Spirit speak with you. So these are these, the keys to activating the life of the Spirit are always simple. Here's another one. Worship. Psalm 95. Come into God's presence daily, thanking Him and praising Him and then tenderly worship. It's a person. I can't understand when people come to church why they don't get engaged in God. It wouldn't matter whether I'm the pastor or not. Like, I want to get here early and be up here. I want to get near where it's all happening. I, I want to be in the influence of the presence of God. Ready to start. Ten o'clock. Let's go. Go. Come on. Let's go. Let's go into His presence right now. And, and, and when, when we start to sing songs, well, you give your best. No one likes half-hearted anything. Why, why think that God would like anything half-hearted? Why think that? Oh, I know. We can trade on his goodness. That's right. We could trade on his goodness week after week after week. And then we have a lifestyle of sort of trading on God's kindness rather than manning up and actually honoring and valuing him and entering into worship him and love him. This is, what, this is why people struggle so much. Because they don't understand the power of corporate worship as well as private worship. It's about engaging God, not singing songs. You can sing songs and not engage God. But the Bible says, bless with the Spirit, speak with the Spirit, speak with understanding, sing with the Spirit, sing with understanding. And we try to do that in our worship service. And it's about letting a flow go from inside until I'm conscious of the presence of God. See, he's here. The key is not whether he's here. The key is whether his presence manifests tangibly to me. 
And to do that, God says, this is the way you do that. You come into my presence or you access the reality of me being here by praise and worship and thanksgiving. It's the Bible prescription for entering into the courts of a king. If you had to go and come to a courts of a king, the first thing you need to know is the protocol. You need to know how to go about it. You go on a marae, I tell you what, you break protocol there and see what happens. <laughs> Think about it, because they break your protocol. It's an issue of honor. Very simply. Why do we think that coming into the courts of a king would not have protocols and honor and respect and value? That, this is part of building a life that God lives in and, and, and works through powerfully. It, it's not just having a service. I don't want service, I want to meet God. See, once you get into having a service, then you'll start to do this. You'll start to pray like this, God, I want more of you. Like, how, how's that going to happen? What are you thinking? He wants more of you. He's already given himself to live inside us, and we take him to all kinds of places he doesn't feel very good about. We say and do all kinds of things that grieve him. Then we say we want more of him. No, no, no. We need to man up and learn what it means to have a relationship with God and build intimacy with him and learn how to enjoy a lifelong of his fruit. See, so praying in tongues, welcoming and honoring him, worshiping him. Here's another way you can develop his presence in your life and access him, and that is as, as you hear his voice, you, you learn to listen expectantly to hear his voice, and you respond to it, because when you hear his voice and respond, then the life of God flows in you. These are the ways it happens. And we're going to focus on that as I preach, because I just feel passionately that God's wanting to activate us again in his spirit, in the things of the spirit. And I don't want you to be looking about some spectacular signs. I want you to be looking for how my intimacy with God can deepen. So I'm becoming a friend of God. I'm coming to know the Holy Spirit as my friend, this treasure in an earthen vessel. Oh my, how glorious it is to have the Spirit of God flowing inside you. And to know that when you come to help people, you are working with him to bring God's kingdom to wherever people are. And we want to talk to you about that and show you how to do that. We've got to actually get real about building this relationship with God and then learning how to bring him to people in a non-silly way. Can I say that? A non-silly way. Silly way is when you're religious. <laughs> and do stuff that people say, that is weird. Stay away from me. See, God is not weird. He's very kind and tender. He's loving. Holy Spirit's those things. Holy Spirit's a very loving person. He's very tender. He's very kind very easily affected. See, there's a difference. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are all different, and yet they're all one, all the same. But there's aspects of the Holy Spirit that are quite unique that you need to know. Jesus said, you can rail on about the Father and rail on about me. If you rail on about the Holy Spirit, you're in trouble. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. <laughs> I say, I so love it.
every day when I walk and pray. Looking forward to feeling his presence and hearing his words. Some days it's just a great joy. Other days it's a lot of conviction of things I need to repent of. Things I need to kind of come into alignment with heaven. That's what relationship is about. Holy Spirit, we love you. Just close your eyes for a moment while the musicians play and we finish. I'd like to extend just an invitation to any person here who's not a Christian, who's struggling with a life without God. How sad. You were never made to live your life that way. It's too hard. Lacks purpose. It's quite empty, really. And what of your eternity? But in a moment of time, you could make a decision that my life is just out of what God's order. I want to come aligned with heaven. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to ask him to forgive my sinning, my patterns of failure and defeat. I want the Spirit of God to come and live in my life, to empower me to be a child of God. I want to belong in the kingdom of God, in a loving family, an eternal family. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Anyone here today at that place? Just raise your hand if you want to receive Christ. For the sake of those who will listen to this on the internet, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. It's a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. So wherever you're sitting, I'd like you just to follow me in this prayer. It's to acknowledge your condition and to receive Christ. Would you all follow me in this prayer right now? Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. Today I turn to you. I turn away from all idols. I turn to the living God. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I receive your spirit into my heart. And I ask you to forgive all of my sins. Today I give you my life. Before heaven and earth I declare, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. And my friend forever. Amen.